So I was thinking about how there are places and spaces and people that when we are with them or in them, we find that we feel at peace. Have you noticed this? Right? I think about like, um, I have a spot in my backyard that I love to go in the summer, not so much in the winter because it's too cold. Um, but I just love to sit um, and try to just reflect and I can see a tree and I kind of look at the tree. And it's weird, whatever, but, but it's just peaceful. But have you also noticed there are those places and people that help us stay at peace, but there are also the flip side of that. There are places and people and situations that make us anxious, that they remove peace, that when we're in them, we feel at ease or we feel at unease and we're not sure what to do with those. And I'm not talking about like Christmas at your in-laws or the test that you didn't study for, right? Like that's on you. But I'm talking about what are the things where you're, when you're there, you feel at ease and uncertain. And what if, what if there was a way in which you could find more peace in your life? What if there's a way that the anxiousness that so often describes us could be decreased, not increased? So here's what I believe to be true. Learning to be with Jesus can and will decrease the anxiousness we experience. Notice I said decrease. I didn't say erase. That's intentional. We believe that somehow by learning to be with Jesus, present with him, he will decrease the anxiousness we feel, whatever the circumstance. And in those circumstances where normally it would be increased or super high, what we find is he is present with us in those moments in such a way that we find peace. Right? I could talk for a long time about why people feel more anxious today than they used to. I mean, one simple reason Right? The average person, notice I said average person, picks up their phone over 200 times per day. The average person, you're like, well, yeah, those young people. No, no, it doesn't really matter the age, by the way. Like, that's kind of transcended that, if you didn't know that. 200 times per day is the average, which means some of us are double or triple that. Some of us are less than that, but that's the average. Right? Our time on screens of any kind has increased dramatically over the last few decades. Right? We could talk about, this is where like, if you're an older person in the room, um, senior adults watch more television than any other age group. Right? So our TVs are on all the time. We're looking at a screen all the time. We find ourselves drawn to these things all the time. And this is disheartening at so many levels. And you go, well, why? Because also, we hurry from one thing to the next. Rarely do we have free time. We don't value it. We just go from one thing to the next. And here's what we begin to find. On and on, these things go. And they all shape us. We are shaped by the activity, by the moments of our day, by all the things we do. They shape who we are. They rewire and reorient the way we think, act, and live. And the question for you and I is the things that are rewiring, reorienting, and changing how we think and live, are they the things we want to change us or not? We talked last week about the idea that all throughout the scriptures, we're never called to be Christians, we're called to be followers or disciples of Jesus. Now, by definition, that's what a Christian should be, but we want to reorient and think like lots of people in our culture will call themselves Christians, but they just mean they're not Muslim or Buddhist or whatever else. They just, well, I'm American, I'm Christian. And so here's what we want to say, like, that's one thing, but what Jesus invites us to over and over and over again is to follow him. 
We talked about the singular title used most to describe him in the Gospels as rabbi or teacher. And so we're called to be his disciples, his followers, to listen to what the teacher has to say and to live as he lived. And so here's what we would say today. Um, the question is this, what is Jesus calling you to do? Who is he? And what does it mean to follow him? And so here's what we'd say. Christianity is defined by this, to be connected in such a way to Jesus that others would go, huh, they look and sound and act like the one that they say they follow. And so Jesus is incredibly clear and the gospels are clear. He invites us to follow him. You and I have a choice. We can choose to follow him or not. We can come to know the life that leads to life, or we can come to know the way he calls us to become what we would say is non-anxious people in the world. To learn to live with a non-anxious presence regardless of the circumstances all around us. Or you and I can choose to reject him. It is our decision to make. But he invites us to be his disciples, his apprentices. And I love this quote from Dallas Willard in The Great Omission. He writes these words. And I think if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, these are important for us to think about today. The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. In other words... Learning everything he knows, he teaches, and to live like him. And so we began talking last week about three ways we're going to kind of talk about this. These don't, didn't originate with me, but they're helpful in thinking about the culmination of the Gospels and what Jesus invites us to. And so here they are. First, be with Jesus, which we're going to talk about today. What's it look like to spend time with him? Two, become like Jesus. And three, do what Jesus did. So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did did. And so I was trying to think, well, as we begin to think about what's it means for us to be with Jesus, I want to bring back a definition I used last week uh, from John Mark Comer, and I thought it was helpful for us last week, and so it's helpful again this week. And here is John's definition for helps us thinking about what's it look like to learn to live with Jesus, to be connected to the Holy Spirit in such a way that it changes our lives. And here's what he writes. Our first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus, apprenticeship could be discipleship or following to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit. Our first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit. So in other words, to learn to live lives fully connected to the Holy Spirit. Now today, if you're like, I don't know about the Spirit thing. Like, you're telling me that, like, this Jesus guy who lived a long time ago was connected to God in such a way that they're going to leave his spirit with us, which we can talk about. John writes about that in chapter 14 and 15. But you're saying that that's real? Like, that God is present with us, the divine creator desires to be in an intimate relationship with you and I through the work of his Holy Spirit? Yes, I'm saying I believe that to be true. And you're going, like, that sounds kind of crazy. Well, let me tell you about my week. Um, Monday, I took my car in to get worked on, and as I'm waiting to get picked up there, um, I'm listening to these ladies talk about their astrology signs and how like a Leo and a Cancer and these things are connected and all this kind of stuff. And then again, yesterday, I, I was at a funeral and I listened to this guy goes, yeah, we're two Leos, so it's two, two kind of people battling it out in house. And I'm like, so 
that's less crazy than people thinking that when they were born impacts how they live. Not where you were born, but when you were born. That's crazier than what I just said, just so we're clear. And people will buy into all kinds of things that might make us spiritual, but what if there is one who really is spiritual, who desires to be the spirit who connects to you and I? And so what's it look like for us to be connected to the Holy Spirit, to learn to live into that way? And I was thinking that maybe these words that John records in chapter, 15, chapter 14 will be helpful for us. John was one of the followers of Jesus. And John invites us to go, well, well who is Jesus? Because he's the guy I committed to following with my life, and he's... He's who I loved, and he loved me. And so John records his firsthand account of what it looks like to spend time with Jesus. And John writes these words that was Jesus speaking. He writes this. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. And you are in me and I am in you. I'm going to read that line again because I think it's so good. Don't miss this line. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me. And I'm in you. He's talking about the day of Pentecost that happened a long time ago. We read about that in the book of Acts. And here's what he goes on to say, jumping a few verses ahead to verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. John writes that God will send an advocate, or some translations say a comforter or a helper, that will be with you. This idea that God's very presence seen in his son, right? God comes in the form of flesh in the person of Jesus, and he says this, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. You're never going to be alone. I will be with you. I will be your advocate, your comforter, your helper. I will live with you and in you so that you can be connected to the divine creator as you go about your day. What Jesus promises here is if you choose to follow him, you will never be left alone. What he's saying is this, I love you, I am with you, my Father loves you, my Father is with you. We, in the form of the Holy Spirit, will never be absent from you, but you can come to know the very presence of God in every aspect of your life, and you can learn to know what it looks like to live at ease in God's presence in the midst of whatever you are doing. So one of the books I'm reading right now is called Let Your Life Speak by a guy named Parker Palmer. And he's written all kinds of things. And one of the things that Parker writes about in this, it's this kind of captivating this, I'm, I'm nearing the end of the book. And he writes about um, a season of depression in his life. He writes about the way it felt like this weight pressing him down and all these kinds of things. And, and he begins to say, as he began to talk with some counselors and some other things, he began to notice how what he began to sense was in the midst of his depression, God's spirit began to speak in ways that were helpful for him to recognize that even in the darkest days, he could learn to be present with God. It doesn't promise that those things won't happen. It doesn't promise that you won't have to have medication. It doesn't promise that you won't go through depression. But what it promises is God can be with you in such a way that no matter what you are experiencing, 
God is there. His spirit is present. You can live in a way that you are connected to him. And it happens when we learn to be with Jesus. And jumping ahead to the next chapter in John's gospel, here's what John writes. These are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples, as the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I don't know if you caught this, but the phrase remain in me was used about a dozen times in just a few short verses. So Jesus' point is pretty clear. Remain in him. Stay connected to him. Stay so near to him that you find he is your life source, right? Another way to say remain in me, other translations will say abide. Abide in me or rest in me. Or find that the place that gives you ease and comfort and peace is my presence. Abide in him. As the question for you and I is where is it we do abide? Where do we find our rest? Where do we remain? What is our life source? And I don't mean like the tacos you're going to have for lunch. I mean like where do you find your life source? Where is your sustenance? Where does it come from? Where do you find that in your moments of darkness, in your moments of celebration, what are you connected to in a way that you find life? Have you and I begun to learn what it means to abide in Jesus, to remain in him? And what he's trying to say is this, you can learn to live so that you can be doing two things at once all the time. We can live in such a way that we abide in him, that we remain in him no matter what we are doing. We can be connected to the Holy Spirit with whatever else we're doing. So like I can drive to work and be connected to the Holy Spirit. I can be talking with friends and be connected to the Holy Spirit. I can be, I don't know eating lunch, connected to the Holy Spirit. I can be replying to email, connected to the Holy Spirit. I can be texting a friend, connected to the Holy Spirit. I can learn to abide, to remain in two places simultaneously because I'm so connected to God in such a way that his spirit is present in me. I'm not saying that's easy today, by the way. I'm not saying like, oh, got it figured out, I'm done. But you and I can learn to live into this life in such a way that we practice being with Jesus in such a way that wherever we go, we sense his spirit's presence, right? I think I'd say it this way. We can learn to live fully invested in the activity of our lives 
while being fully invested in the presence of Jesus. Fully invested in whatever it is we're doing and also fully invested in being connected to the Spirit. There was a guy who lived a long time ago, um, soldier, among other things, and became a follower of Jesus. And he found himself working in monasteries. His name was Brother Lawrence. Um, and he would talk about practicing the presence of God, and he began to practice the presence of God, and he would say he felt his presence as he washed dishes in the midst of a noisy kitchen. Have you and I learned to abide, to rest, to remain in, connected to the vine who is Jesus in such a way that no matter where we are, we are connected to him? Have you and I begun to practice living that way? Because when we live that way, we begin to bear fruit, right? We live fruitful lives. But if we don't remain connected to Jesus, what we find is our lives don't bear fruit. We find ourselves disconnected from God. We find ourselves wandering and lost and struggling. And it doesn't mean those things don't happen. But when we do those things connected to Jesus and his spirit, we find more peace. Right, one of the things... Um, that John records that Jesus said was that he prunes. I, like, I, I'm not like a, I'm not a gardener, and he's, you know, often they, they talk about like grapevines. I'm not, I'm, I've never really messed with a grapevine. I don't think I've ever even picked a grape, um, unless you count like the little things at the grocery store where you kind of pick some off, and I've done that. That's about it, right? I, I'm not, I've never picked a grape. I've never, I'm not a great gardener. I like to, to cut grass, um, and I don't like weeds, so I'm probably not your guy for about anything else. But this idea that I do understand that if you prune something, like right, if you have flowers, like I watch my mother-in-law deadhead flowers at random places everywhere we go. Like we're walking down the street and she'll be like, some city will have beautiful flowers. She's like, just plucking these things off. I'm like, I don't think you need to do that. She's like, well, they'll grow better this way. I'm like, okay, I don't really know anything about this. It was kind of weird, but whatever. But like she understands as a gardener that if you prune something, if you pluck away the dead things, that it will continue to flourish and grow more solidly connected to its main source of life. And what Jesus is saying to you and I here is there are things in our lives that he wants to prune from us, to remove them, to cut them off. I want to say there are three things I'm pretty sure God's not going to cut off, right? Maybe, I mean, I, I'm like 99.9% sure. Um, he's not going to be cutting out the things that connect us to Jesus. He's not going to be th- cutting out things that connect us to the faith community. He's not going to be cutting out things that call us to serve others. Like that's, those things are not getting cut off. Those are not being pruned. I, I, I'm like 99.9% sure. Scripture's pretty clear. He's not cutting those things out. So if that's what you want to cut in your life, wrong thing to be pruning, right? We're connected with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not going to be pruning those things. What he probably will be pruning for some of us is the way we spend our money, some of the things we watch, and where we spend our time. Those things, he may very well begin to prune. You go, ooh, Aaron, not that. Whatever your name is, insert that there. Not immune to this, by the way. Is often saying to me, hey, do you, do you need that? Is that valuable? Is that a part of your life? You need? Does that add value? Does that help you follow me more? Or is that something that just, it begins to distract you from what you're doing? But pruning, when it's concerned with Jesus, is an act of love. By us being pruned, 
We're more deeply connected to the vine. We are more deeply connected to Jesus. We are more connected to his spirit. And Jesus invites us because when you prune something, it bears more fruit. Jesus wants you and I to live lives that bear more fruit. And he says, well, here's what your fruit looks like for my followers, for my disciples, for people who commit their lives to following me, here's what fruit looks like, right? And how do we do that? How do we, how do we become better disciples? Well, we remain in him, we abide in him, we stay connected to him by how we live. And Jesus says we do this through his love. We remain in him through his love. And then he goes on to say, well, so what's it look like for us to be his disciples? And John, I'm sorry, Jesus kind of spent some time with this guy named Paul, and Paul writes these words in Galatians chapter 5 that become for us, I think, helpful, right? He writes this passage in Galatians chapter 5 that is helpful for us to begin to think about what does it look like for us to be disciples who bear fruit? If we're so connected, if we're going to abide in or remain in Jesus, to allow his spirit to shape us, what does that look like? And Paul writes these words in Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And flesh, by the way, means like um, just things we do. It doesn't mean like our bodies are bad. So um, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, the entire Old Testament, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? Again, being connected to the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Again, flesh is the things that we just desire. Not necessarily our, our bodies are good, but it's the things we long for, our sexual passions. And Paul gives a kind of a list of these kind of things here. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. By the way, did you catch that list? Some things were like, well, jealousy, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. It's not nearly as bad as having an affair. Paul includes it in the same list here, by the way. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of being connected to the Spirit and connected to Jesus, connected to the vine, here's what it is. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. We could say patience, which is much more helpful for us. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. When we live by the Spirit, we love our neighbor as ourself. Right? Some in Jesus' day had begun to try to like reorient who their neighbor was, right? They were like, well, you know, like if he doesn't look like me, talk like me, act like me, not really my neighbor. 
In other words, my neighbor is who I want it to be. So that's not my neighbor. And he doesn't mean just a person living next to you. Our neighbor is everyone on the face of the earth. Your greatest enemy, according to the Gospels, is your neighbor. And what do we have to do with our enemy? We love them as ourselves. You're like, yeah, but no. Sorry. No, yeah, buts. We love them as ourselves. All right, that's not the point of this message, by the way. I just want to point that out. Paul writes that. No, we're going to come back to the idea that we want to be with Jesus. What's it look like for us to practice being with Jesus? He lays this out, right? Disconnected from Jesus, we say things like this. It feels good, so it must be okay. It feels nice, and I like it, so it must be what God wants for me. Connected to the Spirit, we begin to ask this question. Jesus keeps calling me and inviting me into a deeper relationship with him. It's kind of intimacy I didn't even know was possible with God. One is about our flesh. One is about knowing him and being connected to the vine. And Jesus, or then Paul lists this lists of the ways in which when we're connected to Jesus, we begin to look and sound and act differently. It's the idea that when we have spent time with Jesus, when we are with Jesus, we manifest different traits. We become different people. We actually are transformed. We are changed. And he writes this list, right? This list that we go, oh, it's a great list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sounds great. I'm not any of those then maybe you and I, if we're not those things, if those have not begun to define us, we need to spend more time with Jesus. We need to more allow his spirit to shape us so that we begin to look like that. I I shared a stat last week, right? It was 84% of people, this was studied by Barna years ago. Uh, I gave you the wrong year. I said 2007. I'm pretty sure it was 2012. Sorry. Um, The book on Christian, Barna's study, 84% of young people in the world today, but they're probably like older now, they'd be in their 20s, right? Um, Of young people today, said that they knew a Christian, right? That's a lot. Only 15% those said those people lived any way different. If we're living out the fruits of the Spirit, that looks radically different. But if we are more shaped and wired and reoriented by all the other things around us and not by spending time with Jesus, don't be shocked that we sound like everybody else. If you're like not a, not a follower of Jesus today, and you're like, yeah, I know those people. I don't like them. Me too. So for us, what's this look like, right? I, I'd say it this way. The fruits of the Spirit become the overflow of who we are. Here's what I mean by that. I can fake it anytime, and so can you, right? For just a moment, I can be whoever I need to be, right? We, we all know people who, are like, by definition, they're kind of chameleon. They change with who they're with. We don't usually like those people. They're not fun to be friends with because you're never sure what they're going to say to somebody else. But, but we know lots of people who can fake it for the moment, right? Some of us, um, we can, I mean, not picking on myself or anyone else, but we can like light up our kids on the way to church and then walk in. Oh, it's so great to see you, Brother Sue. What? What is wrong with you? And who is Brother Sue? A boy named Sue. Anyway, that's an old song. Um, but, but we can fake it, right? I can walk in. Like my mom, I, my mom was a master this. Like she could be lighting us up and yelling at us about doing something like beating each other to death or whatever we were doing. And the phone would ring and she'd have just been yelling at us about something we had done wrong. And then she'd go, hello. I'm like, how do you do that? We can all fake it for a moment, but the reality is this. We can only fake it for a moment. 
who we are comes out. When life is stressful or difficult or hard, who we actually are comes out. When we're in the places that increase our anxiety, that we don't feel at ease or at peace, who we are comes out. But what if our true self can be transformed by opening ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit? Who you and I are can actually be changed, can be transformed by the work of God, by staying connected to the vine, by allowing his spirit to shape us. But here's the crazy thing about how God works. I almost don't wish he worked this way. God works in partnership with us. He doesn't make us do anything. But he invites us to partner with him in the transformation of our own lives and the transformation of our world. And we do this by working with the spirit we practice. We work at it. We spend time trusting and listening and trying to allow him to shape us. Next week, we're going to talk much more about habits and kind of roles we can play and things we can do. Um, But sometimes we talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, and sometimes we go, well, those are like old things we don't do. That's No, no, they're like great practices, and here's what they are. They help us connect and create space to allow God's Spirit to change us. There are things we do that open us up to allow God to transform us because they break the rhythm of our normal days, and hopefully they become the normal rhythm of our days. And there's two that I think are incredibly powerful. Silence. We don't practice well, by the way, right? I've noticed people like turn on the radio or the TV as soon as they get up because, wow, we can't have it silent. We're scared of silence. It freaks us out. We're also scared of solitude, of being alone. And here's the reality, that if we begin to practice silence and solitude among others, we find that these are probably the two most difficult for most people to practice. Because we don't like to be alone, and we don't like it quiet, because we're left alone with our thoughts. But what if, in practicing silence and solitude, we begin to find that God wants to do a new thing in us? I love these words again from Dallas Willard. Solitude, well-practiced, will break the power of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. I'm going to say those last words again, right? Catch these words. Busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. Those we could probably categorize as anxiousness. Learning to be comfortable in our own space, being present with God, will allow us to find that we can learn to live more at peace. So the more connected we are to the vine, the more we are connected to Jesus, the more we become non-anxious people in this world. And there's something powerful about non-anxious people. They help others feel at ease. They bring peace to situations and places that seem like they are not peaceful. And so the question I have for you and I is this, right? I'm not immune to this, by the way. Business as a way of life is too often what defines my own life, and I'm working to try to make that not true. Is the life you are living helping or hindering you from spending more time with Jesus? Is the life you are leading helping you to spend more or less time with Jesus? To be with Jesus requires practice.
It requires intentionality. It requires a transformation of our time and our energy and our effort. But it is worth it. What we find is we become changed people. The fruits of the Spirit aren't just things we read in the Bible. They're things that define who we are. Right, sometimes literal space matters. I started by talking about there are places. Right, I, I think space can matter. Um, for some of you, like if you have a certain space in your house, um, I, I mean, maybe with me, occasionally I'll try to like write a sermon from home and I'll, I'll sit there. And, and if there's stuff kind of in disarray in certain areas, I can't ignore it. So I don't actually do this anymore. I just go somewhere to a coffee shop and put in headphones because I, I won't ignore it. I can't like look at certain things, right? Some clutter I can ignore, some I can't. But have you noticed that there are certain spaces that when you're in them, that you can be at rest? So here's my encouragement. Find a space in your home. I don't care if it's got to be in your closet. Find a space where you feel more at ease than any other space and like carve it out and get up five or ten minutes earlier. You can set an alarm on your phone, right, so that you can be like present in that moment and sit in that moment and sit in that space every day in silence and solitude for five to ten minutes. How about this week as you go home this week, right? I mean, you don't have to start today if you're like, well, I'm already up now. You can control what time you get up, but we can do this. You and I, we can commit to this practice of going five to ten minutes in silence and solitude saying, God, I want to be present with you. I just want to learn to listen to you. I want your Holy Spirit to speak to me in a way I can hear. And you're like, well, how do I, how do I hear, right? Well, I wish God would like just yell at me sometimes. I'd be really helpful. He's not done that yet. I keep holding out hope it'll happen. Probably if he yells at me, though, because I did something really stupid. So he hasn't done that yet, but I keep waiting for him to speak in a way I can hear. But what I find is like the, the, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament in 1 Kings might be helpful for you and I. Elijah, right, this guy of God has this moment where he's like, God, if you'll just show me your real, I just want to hear you. And, and so he goes to this mountain and he thinks he's going to hear God and like, there's thunder and lightning and earthquake and fire and wind and all these things. And it's in the whisper that he hears God. And did you know you and I can only hear whispers in silence? Or else it's loud. Like my favorite is like old people. I was at a funeral, like I said yesterday, there's an old lady. Don't know who she was, so I'm 99% sure she's not going to be here. Um, love to have her come to church based on a lot of what I heard yesterday. She was trying to whisper during the service. She was louder than me with a microphone, right? Like... You're not whispering, honey. Person next to you, tell her to stop talking. God's probably not going to do that to you unless it's someone you love and you're going off a deep end and they're going like, hey, knock it off. But if you and I want to practice being present with him, to be with Jesus, it's probably going to require us learning to stay connected to a community of faith, practicing silence and solitude. Learning to abide or remain in him. And so as a church, I want, I want to be clear, we want to help create more and more moments and opportunities for people to learn to rest and abide in the presence of Jesus. That, is, that matters to us. That's a central guiding principle us to help people connect to Jesus. We want to help people make a commitment to be a better and deeper disciple of Jesus. So I've been thinking about how we might do that. We, we started at the beginning of 2020, I know, weird year, but but we start talking about this idea that we want to bridge the gap spiritually in people's lives. And like you can see out there on the wall and there's some practices that you can embrace. And so I, I just want to talk just, just briefly today about a couple of things, how you and I can be a part of that together. Um, starting next week, yep, next Sunday, there'll be two service times at 9 and 1030. 
Um, anytime you launch something new in the church, you're like, oh, is this going to work? Who knows, right? But we're trusting God in the midst of that because um, some of you noticed as you came in a little late today, like you're like, I don't know where to go. I'm not sure where to sit. There's some people in my seat, right? Well, we don't have assigned seats in the church, by the way. So that's okay. Good to know. There are other places you can find one. Um, but we also know when rooms start to get full, people go like, I don't know if I'm welcome here. Like, I don't know if they want me. And so we know that that's kind of where we've been hanging out for a while. And so starting next week, there'll be two times you can come. And so here's what we're asking. If you call this church home, here's the invitation. Twofold. Actually, there's three things. So it's threefold. However you want to look at that. Right. First one. Um, we can say, woe so or so woe, serve one, worship one, or worship one, serve one, however you want to categorize that. So if you're like, hey, I'm capable on Sunday morning, um, I really want to be connected in corporate worship together because we think this is, by the way, we're going to talk next week, it's one of the things Jesus did every week, literally every week. Um, and so you and I are invited to do the same thing. So maybe you're going, well, I can, I can take an extra hour of my life. It's not the end of the world. So I'll serve in one and worship in the other. So if you're willing to do that, we actually, you can sign up as you walk out. We have sign-up sheets out there ready to go. Um, and you can just sign up today and you'll just need to put your phone number and email address and we'll connect you. Um, second thing is this. Maybe you go, you know what? I, I know when I've come to church, it's been really powerful when there's a, a group of people who help make me feel welcome. And so here's what I'm going to commit to for the next six months, right? I'll commit to as many times as possible, right? You can mark one through four, like there's four weeks in a month, that would you be willing to commit to attending two services for a season of life? And you're like, well, it's two of the same thing? Yeah. And you're like, is that bad? I'm like, well, here's the thing. Like, I served on staff for a while. I went to three services every Sunday morning for a while. And here's what I can tell you. I learned something new every single time. Right? One of the services, I might be like zoned out, half dead to the world. And then one be like, oh, did you sense God's spirit today? It was so cool. Right? Whatever it is for you. Attend twice if you're capable, right? If you say, well, hey, I'll come into that at least once a month, then sign up. Come into that at least once a month. And here's the thing, right? I don't know if you know this, but we live in a community within, I think it's five or six miles of our church's building. There are 100,000 people who don't have a church they call home. 100,000. It's a lot of people. So we try to make it really simple. There are little invitation cards. You and I all know someone that doesn't have a church they call home. And if you don't, go meet new people. And they just list the service times, 9 and 10.30. And so all you have to do is go, hey, would you want to come with me at 9 or 10.30? I'd love to have you. What if we just invited someone, right? And you're like, well, how?" Uh, you started this by talking about Bridge of the Gap spiritually, right? Well, here's a couple things we said on there. One, uh, attend one time more per month than you did last year. So if you went once a month last year, go twice a month this year. Right? And you could like double up and do four in two weeks and be like, I'm good. No. Um, the other thing is we said we didn't challenge you to invite someone six times per year. You're like, well, that's easy. We even printed cards so you can invite people. We try to make it as easy as we can because we think it matters. And here's why. We believe that every person on the face of the earth is created in such a way that Jesus wants them to come know him, to abide in him, to remain in him, to find rest in him so that they can live too as non-anxious people in an anxious And so our church exists to help bridge the gap from what is to what could be, to connect people to people and people to Jesus. And so as you leave today, if maybe God has been spurring you to serve in a different way, I encourage you to sign up to be a part of that. Because here's what Jesus is calling all of us to do, to be with him. Will you stand and pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you today. 
we recognize that you love us as we are where we are, but you don't want to leave us there. That as we learn to remain in you, to abide in you, to find our rest and our life in you, you desire to take the anxious parts of us and help us to be radically transformed by your love and your grace and your mercy. So may we become the kind of people who reflect your love, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. May the fruits of the Spirit be truly what define who we are. May we be open to the work of your Spirit. May we learn to live in such a way that you guide our every thought and every deed. As Paul writes, may we learn to pray without ceasing. May we find that we are so connected to you that it transforms everything about who we are. By virtue of our transformation, it will change our homes and our families our friendships, our schools, our workplaces, because we will find that we offer what people long to know, people connected to the one who is the source of life. And may we be people who are committed to being disciples, followers of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.